We are today in uh, week three of a short four-week series that we're doing called Faith, Family, and Finances. Finances obviously have a big impact on families. They tell us the number one reason that marriages break up is because of money stresses, money fights. So this is huge. The faith piece comes in because the Bible speaks a lot about money. So we first of all looked at, you got to know your why. What is it that God has put upon your heart to bless this world? If you could do anything to bring value to this world and to impact people, what would that be? And then begin to figure out, okay, so what financially is that going to take? And you begin to build for that piece. Then last week, we kind of talked about how do you build that peace. We got into the weeds about a budget, paying off debt, uh, the importance of getting an emergency fund set up, thinking about retirement, getting you to that point of why. Now today, today I want to talk about children. Now let me start a couple things. Number one, My grandfather, different generation, but he would always get so upset with me when I would refer to my children as kids because kids were little goats. So in my notes, I have written children every place. And I got here to preach last night and I realized my first slide says kids. So please know my heart. They are precious. They're not just little goats, but that's just what comes out. I'm sorry. Secondly, let me give you a little disclaimer on this one. Um, Because probably more so than normal today, I'm going to say some things that are going to cut against our culture and what our culture tells us is right, to the point that it might even create offense out there if people heard and, and got that. And the truth is you might even be offended at some point. And so for those of you that know me, you come here, you know that's not my gig. I don't say things just to be offensive. There are some pastors that do that. That's not me. I try to be a fairly likable guy, all right? And and here's the thing. God's word is truth. We you know, I've also I've come to a point in my life I I've raised three children. They're all you know, on that point where they're all, you know, making a full-time income. I think being helps to society. They're, they're walking with Jesus. I now had three grandkids. And so I, I'm at that point where I think I've got some wisdom here, along with taking the things that, that I've learned through the years. But, you know, when I talk about application pieces, you can disagree with me, and it's okay. I am not infallible. I was not the perfect father. In fact, I have letters of reference that will prove that point, all right? Uh, So so we, we we can disagree on some of that. But when God's word says something, that's truth. And if you don't agree with that... You know, I, I, again, I don't mean to be unkind, but just quite honestly, you're wrong. And I will tell you from my experience that whenever I've decided that God was wrong and I was right, it never worked out well for me. In fact, I would always come back to know maybe God knew more than I did. And I have the scars to prove that one too. So, so just understand that, you know, today, because our culture is sending us a lot of messages, a lot of them, we look at them, are kind of mixed but a lot of them are wrong. So I want to start today in this passage, Psalm 127. So if you have your Bible, 
or maybe you have a, a Bible app or something on your phone, if you want to turn there, this is a song of, of Solomon. It's a psalm of ascent. So it's as they would come to Jerusalem three times a year for those sacrifices, and, and you always go up to Jerusalem. By the way, I'll talk about it more in the next, probably in February, but a year from March, we're going to take another trip to Israel. So if you've never been, we'd love to have you go March of 2020. And you begin to see this. You always go up to Israel. So it's a psalm of ascent. And it's a psalm not of David, but of Solomon reminding us of how desperately we need the Lord, that all of us in our best effort are nothing if the Lord's not with us. So let's read it together, Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labor, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. God's going to take care of you. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So the first point of God's truth this morning that we're going to try to build some application off of is just simply this. Children are a gift from God. Put it another way, children are a blessing. An incredible blessing. It will bless your life. Now, the reality is for many parents, we, we you know, you lose that. In the midst of the... Uh, the everyday grind, the, you know, just trying to keep the kids from killing themselves, right? Uh, to the endless loads of laundry that just never seem to run out. To those days when you think I should just be wearing a referee jersey and a whistle. Uh, to those moments when you had for the 10,000th time today, why daddy, why mommy? And you're just going crazy. When, when you know, plus you're working without much sleep, right? You can lose this idea that kids are a blessing. But they are. And maybe that's the wisdom that comes with being a grandfather, right? Grandparents get this. You know, we, we understand. We understand those fleeting moments of frustration, but they're, how precious and to, to be able to enjoy them and to see the blessing that they are. You know, plus, quite honestly, we're working on a full night's sleep too, you're right? And if we get to the thousands, why, Grandpa? We just send them home, okay? So I get it. It's a little different. But the truth is, is that there's wisdom in understanding that those, those ages, it just seems like will never end. They will end. They'll actually end very quickly. And you'll miss the preciousness of those moments. If you remember back in December, we... Uh, we looked at the story of Joseph as a type of Christ. And if you remember, one of the points was that Joseph was especially loved of his father. And the reason why? Because Joseph was the son of Jacob's old age. 
He understood the preciousness of children. And they are precious. So let's pull out some application. One one is, is I think there's wisdom, is that, you know, as a married couple, you should have children if you can. Now again, that pushes back at some of the conventional wisdom. The idea today is is that children kind of cramp your lifestyle. The children become a drain on everything you want to do. You know, you want to travel, you want to do this, you want to do that. And, And so don't have kids. And I think that that's that's an unwise thought process. Because kids are a blessing. They will enhance your life. They, they will bring richness and depth that, that all the travel in the world is not going to replace. Now, having said that, one of the things that you've got to understand and why you never say that as a judgment is the reality is that there are couples who desperately want to have kids, and the truth is they just can't conceive. And for them, their hearts are so heavy. It's, it's not an attitude. It's not a heart problem. They want to have kids. In fact, they're trying and they just can't. And man, that's painful. And then they show up to church and the pastor says, couples should have children. And we're going, we're trying. It's not on us. So you don't ever judge. And maybe more painful than that are the ones who can conceive, but they can't, they can't carry them to term. I remember Tammy and I, between JJ, our middle one, and Kylie, our last one, we, we had a miscarriage at about the end of that first trimester. And Man, I had no idea that the pain that comes in that. You know, you, you begin to put your hopes and your dreams and thinking about their personality and what they're going to accomplish in their life, and, and then they're gone, and this side of heaven now makes heaven sweeter. We look forward to that day we're going to meet our, our, our little baby. Our little child. But man, it hurts and it's painful. So this this is not a judgment thing. This is just simply a heart issue. So if you can, I think you should. Now, one one thing though, and let's just be honest, Christians, we as Christians have a problem in that we we, we sometimes run from the culture like a, a pendulum. We see the pendulum over here, don't have kids, and we almost go to the opposite end. And one of the places where I see that today is there, there's a group out there that, that basically say you should never use birth control, that somehow birth control is wrong. You know, God, kids are a blessing, you should have as many as you can. And I'm sitting there going, well, wait a minute. God said, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth and rule over it. The idea was, to me anyway, is that, you know, I've got all this, but I want you to tend to it. I want you to make it better. I want you to make it work for you. And in my mind, for a young couple that gets married to have some years where it's them and they're building that, that strength in their relationship, and I think it's a healthy thing. I think sometimes, too, you start getting overrun with kids and, and your income can't keep up, that maybe there's wisdom that is there uh, that we ought to use. So, point of application. But here's a big thing that I think cuts across our culture today. And that is, because children are a gift, you've got to remember that they are, not, they are not what is to be worshipped. 
The giver is to be worshipped, not the gift. And today in our culture, children on the opposite end of the spectrum of don't have them, it's, it's almost like if you do, then they become your whole life. They become the idol. It's all about the kids. It's all about their experiences. By the way, which we could take a picture and put on our social media, look what our kids got to do. And it's all about the kids. And I can't help but think, I wonder why maybe it has something to do with the divorce rate that's going up in our country because we're so busy, we're running this kid here and that kid there. And as a husband and wife, we're like ships passing in the night and our relationships are, are not strong. And not only that, at least back in my day, maybe it's changed, but those little things, we, you know, the, the soccer leagues and the little league things and the horse riding and all that, it was expensive. Maybe that explains why money problems and money fights are the number one cause of divorce. Put stress. So don't make your kids your idol. It's not all about the in fact, could I suggest to you that the greatest thing you can do for your children if you're if you're married, now if you're a single parent, uh, it's to treat their 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 um, others father or mother with respect but if you're if you're in a marriage relationship the strongest thing the most important thing you can do for your kids is have a strong secure marriage because there there's a security gland within kids and when they know mom and dad love each other in fact when you think of the pyramid our god is to be number one and then our spouse and then kids that's the priority level eight Another piece of wisdom off of this is the kids are a blessing. And so the great thing is you can invest in kids whether you don't have them or you do and and they're grown. You you can invest in kids. A couple weekends ago, I was on a retreat with some men from our church and I was just so blessed because a couple of them got talking about their, their heart and how much they enjoy teaching the kids here in, in our, our Sunday school classes and investing in them and how they've done it for years and in churches before this because that's just, they, they want, they know the blessing that is kids and they want to pour into it. And that's a great thing. And if you don't have kids or your kids are growing, you can do that. You can support little kids overseas. Tammy and I do that. Help them get education and food by, by sending money. If you really want to raise the bar high, you can get involved in foster care or adoption and then man i'll tell you one of the great things about the church family is for some of you that uh have the opportunity and you're available to become those adoptive grandparents i mean my family never grew up around extended family i only saw my grandparents a couple times a year and I think of some of the older people who tried to fill that role in our life and give that grandfatherly advice. And man, it was huge. That's one of the great things about a community in the church is you can build those relationships and play those roles and invest. Because kids are a gift. Because they're a gift, they bring responsibility. Okay, so with the privilege now comes responsibility. And of course, the first responsibility is we have to provide for them, right? We have to meet those, those basic needs, you know, food, shelter, basic clothing, get them an education. Those things are important. We looked at this last week. First Timothy chapter 5 puts it like this. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
So our first responsibility is to provide for those physical things. But what Solomon is alluding to here is something deeper. In in verse 4, he says this, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Now think about that picture for a moment. The picture is this. An arrow does nothing. It accomplishes nothing until it is on purpose taken in the hand of the one who holds it, put into the bow just right. It is pulled back. It is aimed. It is put on purpose. As parents, it is our job and our responsibility to give direction. I saw this last week. Uh, somehow, I don't even, I do not remember who it was, but they were being, uh, they were being praised by our culture. They're pregnant and they were just sharing about how when the child is born, they are going to give it no direction to its gender identity until it would decide what it wants to be. And the world says, man, how enlightened. And God says, how foolish. Our job as parents is to give direction. It is like the, the, the arrow in, in our hand, and we are, we are to set up that, that course and to teach them. In fact, the first thing, of course, biblically we're to teach them is we're to teach them to love Jesus. We're to train them in the things of God. We, we are to put them in places where they're growing to know Him. That's why Paul says, bring them up in the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. Solomon says, train up a child in the way he should go. That's our responsibility. In fact, some people think, well, I bring them to church. Folk, it's not the church's responsibility. It is the responsibility of the parents. It's on you. To teach and to train your children to love Jesus. Now, I talked a little bit before about the pendulum. All right? Let me talk again. Because some parents have learned that and said, you know, this isn't on the church. They've gone to the opposite end. So it's like, I'm not going to let my kids go to Sunday school. They're always going to be with me. I'm not going to let them go in the youth group. I'm not going to let other people speak into them. I got to be honest with you. I think that's foolish. You know, Proverbs tells us where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in an abundance of counselors, there's victory. Discipleship happens in community. It happens when people come around. It's not just mom and dad, but mom and dad putting kids strategically in great relationships so that other people can speak into their life. Later on in Proverbs 15, he says this, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. You know, Tammy was here last night, and so when we were laying in bed, she was telling me everything I did wrong. No, um, <laughs> we were talking about this piece of it, and we started just talking names of people who had invested in our kids' lives, who helped them. You know, because today I'm blessed. I have three kids who walk in with Jesus. And uh, Mark, I have to tell you, you know, your, your investment in Jamie— in his high school years and then, and, and as Ange got involved, his lid came in. It was just huge, huge, godly men speaking in. I think of Kylie. Kylie was our one. She was popular. She was, uh, she was the one who was the cheerleader. She was the one who, you know, in high school, 
I'm walk with the Lord. There's all this pressure, man. She was the one that <laughs> took more prayer. But, but we, you know, but we will forever be indebted to, to women. And, and again, I always hate to mention people because I had so many of them, but I, I think of Shannon Ackerman who used to just take her out for coffee. Kelly Lashua would just call her up. They just never let her, you know, even when she would distance herself, they just kept trying to reach out and love in her and invest in her. And I, they're not saying anything different than her mom and dad are, but she's listening to them or she's listening to us to that point. You know, kids kind of do that sometimes. And so though it's on us, man, to, to be able to put them in places where you have other godly people that are speaking into them, I think is huge. So we've got to teach them about Jesus. we also got to teach them about money. That's kind of what our, our subject is about here. You know, there are four things that parents ought to teach their kids about money. The first one is work, and that is that's where money comes from. Uh, th- this idea that, of, a, of a work ethic that, you know, you, you've got to put in the effort. You, you don't get money just by the fact that you exist. You've you, you got to work. Now, I, I know, again, our culture, uh, the millennials, you know the millennials, what, about 20 to 30-something now? Uh, they, they get a, an awfully bad rap in our culture. I got to tell you, I got a bunch of millennials here on our staff. I love them. They are some of the hardest working, most diligent, committed, passionate people. In fact, I find myself having to kind of pull them back sometimes. But I've met some of the others. I, I've, I've seen them. And, and it's almost like society owes me. And I'm just going to, you know, because I, I'm taking air, man. I deserve to have it. And the truth is, it was my generation, many of you were part of that, that raised those people. And we did not instill in them what our parents instilled in us, which was a work ethic that money comes from work. Dave Ramsey's daughter put out a book. Uh, I think it's Smart Money, Smart Kids, something, Smart Something or Other. But it was kind of interesting when I read it. I thought, well, that's, that's good. He says, don't ever give your kids an allowance. An allowance is like, well, you know, you're here, so you get money. That's not a good thing. He says, you pay them commissions. You know, three years old, you help mommy clean up, you get paid a commission. I, man, more I thought about that, more I like that idea. I wish I'd known that. You know, you, you could pay your work. That work comes to it. And then when you get money, really there's only three things you can do with it, and they're all important, and you need to do all three. Number one is you've you, you got to spend Again, one of the pieces of advice we got that I thought was great was when our kids got into junior high, we figured out what it was that we paid for them for toiletries and clothes and, you know, lunches at school and all that. We put an account, we gave them a debit card, try to teach them a budget, try to teach, hey, you got to spend, you want to, you got to, you know, spend wisely. And guess what? They didn't. <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden they had no toothpaste but the money, you know, they don't roll into the next month for a while. So, you know, now, let me ask you. Did we say, okay, don't brush your teeth? No. We said, no, you come down to ours, we'll borrow, you can borrow a little toothpaste. You've got to brush your teeth. That's why you do it while they're under your roof. But they wouldn't have money for lunch. So guess what? We'd help them make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. 
go to school, it helped them learn, hey, I need to budget a little bit better. I don't need to just buy everything I want because this has got to get me to the end of the month. It's a great thing. You got to teach them to spend. You got to teach them to save. You know, you want that? Well, you need to put some things. You need to cut back in your budget, put some money away, save. What about that first car? What about college? What about those things? Teach them to save. Talk to them about a Roth, for, you know, a Roth IRA. Run the numbers for them. Man, it's, it's got to teach them to save. And then, of course, you got to teach them to give. We're going to talk about this next week. But to be honest with you, that is the funnest thing you can do with money. Just give. Bless people. It'll bring such joy. And I can remember as a little kid, my dad would always write out his check on Saturday night and put it in the envelope. And he would often have us, if we were in the room, hey, come over, we're, we're writing this out. And, and sometimes he'd give it to us. I want you to put that in the offering tomorrow. He taught us that there was joy in giving. So you need to teach your kids about money. You need to teach them how to handle it wisely. But truth of the matter is, folks, the greatest way you teach is not by sitting them down and lecturing them. The greatest way you teach is by modeling it. People say that, you know, kids, life is more caught than taught. You want your kids to love Jesus, then you need to love Jesus. You want them to follow Jesus passionately, then you need to follow Jesus passionately. You want them to handle money well, then you ought to handle money well. And you bring them into that. And, and in those moments when you have the, the emergency that comes up and you have your little you know, emergency budget meeting, how are we going to deal with it? Let the kids be a part of that. Let them learn how you process money. And the fact that uh, you just don't go swipe it on a card, but you pay for it, it's a huge thing. So kids bring responsibility. And because they bring responsibility, this is why if you have children that need to have a financial plan to know your why and know how you're going to get there is crucial. I struggle with this because um, multiply doesn't even get it. Uh, I mean, it's exponential is the idea. I just didn't know how to get that word into that sentence. I mean, it just, it goes up. Because here's the thing. I mean, think about it. And I don't mean to be crass here, but if I screw up my, my finances and I end up having to live in my car, I've just made my life miserable, right? And I'm probably big enough and resourceful enough, I'm going to deal with that. If I do that and I've got a spouse and kids in tow, that's a whole different story. And so there becomes a greater responsibility now because I've got people counting on me to put together a plan. And so you need a financial plan. It needs to have wisdom. It's got to work within what you make. It's got to be wise. It's got to be healthy for your whole family. And now this helps you to say yes and no to the opportunities. Because here's the thing. If you got kids, you're going to have opportunities to spend. It's what happens. I was thinking about, so my youngest, Kylie, if you don't know her, she's the one that kind of runs the family. She's, she's my little girl. She's my sweet pea. She, she's got a lot of her mommy in her. She's tiny, and she's very athletic. This was her, I think, maybe eight years old. We're in Colorado. If you can't tell what she's doing, she is doing the balance beam on a log. Because she loved gymnastics. And she could flip and control. It's funny, I was looking for pictures. Half of her picture, she's upside down, doing a cartwheel, a somersault. I thought, well, this maybe would explain it better. You don't have to look like this. But, but that's Sweet Pea. 
And, uh, and so when she's about eight years old, she wants to get involved in gymnastics. About down back then, in that day, there weren't a lot here. So we went up to, what, Bell Road and I think 83rd, got her in a little gymnastics class. And guess what? She was good because she takes after her mama. And so she's there for a few weeks, a month or so, and they came to us to say, hey, your daughter's got some talent. I know, she's like her mom. And we we would like to work with her more, so we'd like for her to get up to that next level. What's the next level? Well, it costs this much more, and instead of being just for an hour, it's for like two and a half hours. So we talked about prayed about it, said, great. She went, she loved it, man. She's starting to flip and do the forwards and the backwards and all those kind of things that she was doing. And she went through that for about three months, and it was great. And they had this little meet, and she, she did well. And they came to us and said, hey, your daughter got talent. I said, I know. She's like her mom. <laughs> said, we really, we'd really like to work with her and move her up to the next level. I said, okay, tell me what that means. That means it's a second night, two and a half hours. And by the way, yeah, the price doubles. Whew. Okay, we're getting tight now. But she seems to be eating it up. So she, we do that for three months. They have a, another meet. She does well. They came to us and said, listen, your daughter's got talent. She could get a scholarship. Now, folk, I'm just telling you, the moment they start using the word scholarship with your kid, they have got you on the real, man. Because college is so expensive and they are reeling you in. Here's the thing. A, this was going to be a third night. It was also going to travel on the weekends. I don't know if you know this, but I have this weekend job, so that doesn't work real well for me. Beyond that, financially, man, we were, we were just at the razor's edge. But the big piece is, is she's got a brother that's four years older than her. So he's 12, 13 years old in junior high. And all of a sudden now, two nights a week, we're not having dinner together. Two nights a week, he's ending up being at home by himself a lot of times because one of us is running up there. One of us with the church work, you know, often I had meetings and And Tammy and I talked about it, and we prayed about it, and we talked about it, and we prayed about it, and we talked about it, and finally I just said, no, can't do it. Can't do it. You should have heard some of the other parents. How could you not take this opportunity? We're we're, we're doing everything we can to get our kids that invitation, and you turned it down. You know, you're scarring your daughter. Well, we had a plan. We had a plan for our family. This was changing the plan. We had a plan financially. It didn't fit. Now, let let me fast forward now. She actually became a cheerleader. D1 school, GCU. She was, uh, actually got a scholarship, by the way. Just wanted you to know. (laughs) She is now... Walking with Jesus, she's teaching school full-time, and to the best of my knowledge, she has not yet even had to go into therapy to get over her dad taking her out of gymnastics. In fact, the funny thing was about a week after that, she was a different girl because she was so happy, and, and she just, in fact, she came to me, she said, I'm so glad I'm not doing gymnastics anymore. It was tough. It was a hard decision. 
But that's what we're called to do is we're called to have a plan and to give direction. So let's talk about this plan. You got kids. Now you got to have a strong financial plan, a strong emergency fund. We talked about three to six months after one of the services last week. A guy came up to me. They got a number of children. He says, you know, because of our kids, we decided to run our emergency fund out to 10 to 12 months. He had worked at a firm for years. I think it was like 17 years. He got laid off, and for a 30-month period, there were 10 months, he had no income. Guess what? He didn't have to take the first job that came around because he had savings. He's now doing the job that he loves, and he's been able to rebuild it all. Having that is huge. Then you've got to have term life insurance. Man, that is so important. I, I, I've touched this when my, my wife passed away and Jamie's just a little one. I tell you what, you've got a stay-at-home mom and you go, well, we don't need term life insurance on her uh, because, or, or on him, depends uh, how that works because, you know, they're, they're not making an income. You're deceived. Because all of a sudden now you've got that child and that spouse who's watching is gone. You've you got to pay for daycare. You've got to get people to watch them, take them to the doctor. You've you got to, now all of a sudden, you know, people making meal and all that is gone. It gets expensive, at least two hundred and fifty to four dollars or $500,000. If you've got multiple kids, that's what I would do. And then if you are the primary breadwinner, if both of you are, you need to have 10 to 12 times your annual income in term life insurance. Why? Man, I see this all the time. I've seen this with my sister. I've seen it with people here. When, when, if something happened to you and your family is dealing with this sense of loss, you don't want the number one pressing thing on their heart to be, am I going to make it? How am I going to support these kids? And I'm so thankful that my brother-in-law had prepared for all of that. And that was not my sister's number one concern. But I see for others that it is. And you need to be prepared for that. And that's the best way to take care of it. Your financial plan also needs to look ahead to the cultural milestones. They're going to turn 16. What are we going to do about a car? Should they be saving for a car? Are we going to get them a car? What about car insurance? What about college? What about wedding? Believe it or not, all of those things cost money. They need to be a part of your plan. And then, what about the financial plan when the kids are done? We know it's going to be woohoo. But what, what's, what's beyond that? What does that look like? How do we save? What, do we, what is our why? And let me finish with this. A good financial plan asks the question, okay, so what do I want to leave behind? Do I want to leave something to my kids, my grandkids? Do I want to leave something for the Lord's work? What do I want to be a legacy that, that passed behind me? Now, in the midst of all that, can I just tell you the, the most important legacy you can leave? The most important legacy you can leave your kids, your grandkids, is the fact that they know where you went. Instead of wondering, you know, did, did grandma and grandpa, did, did, did mom or dad, did they know Jesus? But they know, they knew Jesus. They are with him. They're having the best day of their life. That is the greatest legacy you will leave. And the fact if you walk with him and you, you left that legacy, God will use that in the hearts and lives of people. Do you know Jesus?